What's up, guys? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I created a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. So if you have a new idea, project, or business that you're working on, and you're feeling a little bit stuck, I'd love to help you or connect you with somebody that can. And today's guest is definitely somebody that can help push you forward in life and in business. I'm super stoked to welcome Mr. Stefan. I'm not even going to say or try to say your last name. I'll let you get into that. <laughs> super excited. As always, sitting here in the closet because it's still the coronavirus pandemic time and I'm not able to have Stefan in our studio, but I just want to thank you for coming on and taking some time on your Saturday to sit down and, and chat a little bit about what you do, why you do it, and how you're trying to progress your own personal life and your professional life moving forward. So to kick this off, something that attracted me to Stefan from the get-go of meeting him is his obsession with going to Mars. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about where this obsession came from, with outer space and, and doing out-of-this-world things. So with no further ado, I'll let you take it off. Uh, maybe start off with saying your last name. <laughs> yeah, definitely. First and foremost, CJ, thank you for having me, man. I used to be a podcaster myself, and so I'm very familiar with interviewing people and trying to figure out like a hook. So I appreciate the hook. My whole name is pronounced Stefan Georgievich. <laughs> oh yeah. And so if you remove the D and the J and you just add a G there, that's how you could easily pronounce my last name. I'll remember that going forward. <laughs> <laughs> so I have always wanted to go to space. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to be an astronaut. I remember my first memory of going to space was in third grade where Mr. O'Malley actually uh, had us do a science project and it included making a video for NASA. And it was me and two other actually actors. We, we were actually uh, in place together and we made a video about going to the International Space Station. And I was one of the astronauts. And I remember saying something all along the lines of, the International Space Station is a collaboration between Russia, the United States, China, and a bunch of other countries. And I remember, <laughs> <laughs> just imagine me as like a little kid, you know. And um, we ended up sending that video to NASA. And I remember getting a letter about six months later saying, congratulations on your video. It was accepted for some video competition. And we ended up featuring you in our publication. And so that was one of my formative experiences with space. And I really have to thank Mr. O'Malley, who is my science teacher, for really prompting me to believe in myself and shoot for the stars. He ended up, I learned this about two years ago, he ended up receiving the Teacher's Presidential Award, which is like the highest award that a teacher can get. And he was actually invited by Obama to come to Washington, D.C. and talk a little bit more about space exploration and science and what he teaches. So... Thank you, Mr. O'Malley, for believing in me. <laughs> that's that's amazing. So where was Mr. O'Malley? Where was this class? Where where did you grow up and take this inspiring course with this infamous Mr. O'Malley? <laughs> so I grew up in Skokie. And if a lot of people probably don't know where that is. It's in uh, North Chicago. So it's kind of like a metropolitan melting pot of diversity. So a lot of different cultures, everyone lived there. And it was a really awesome place to grow up because there were just so many different people that I could interact with. And growing up, was there other kids that were inspired to go to space too? Or was it just you? So you mentioned like your little group, but mm -hmm. how did that progress as you were going through school? Because obviously this kind of spearheaded your entire future 
because Mm -hmm. we're sitting here, I'm approaching 30 and we're talking about going into space and it started with you in third grade. Was it the people around you that were inspiring that or what really like sunk in after that project that spearheaded it for you? Yeah, so I really just continued to to live my dream. I, I really do believe that I can go to space. And it sounds a little bit crazy, but it's becoming more and more likely that you can go to space for very cheap. And that being said, I continued to study space and aerodynamics and astrodynamics. And going into college, I became a pilot and I learned how to fly and I learned how planes fly. And then I'm like, you know what? I want to work at NASA. Fuck it. (laughs) So I ended up applying to NASA. I think this was sophomore year of college. I was pre-med at the time, but I wanted to be a space doctor. I wanted to be an astronaut doctor. And so I applied to NASA and obviously they rejected me. They get hundreds of thousands of applications every year. And so I'm like, hmm, how can I game my way into working at NASA? And so I ended up becoming friends with one of the HR people at NASA. And over the course of the next two years, I just kept applying and applying and applying, cold emailing her. And one day she finally messages me and she goes, hey, I appreciate you messaging me and reaching out and really your persistence. That being said, we'd love to interview you for one of the uh, co-op opportunities that we have here at Johnson Space Center. And so like right when she called me, I'm like, holy crap, like this is like actually becoming a reality. Like what? (laughs) So I ended up interviewing her. And I remember during her interview, it was kind of janky how they interviewed me. It was her and a colleague on a on a laptop and behind them was like a little banner of NASA. I'm like, this is weird. Like, where's the big building and all the rockets behind her and stuff? (laughs) And so I, uh, yeah, I ended up interviewing there and I had another interview with my manager and ended up getting a co-op after applying. I think it was six or seven times that I applied and I don't know how many emails I sent, but it had to have been over 30. (laughs) That's amazing. So it just goes to show that the more persistent you are, the better. And I, I think that people aren't persistent enough. And you you really don't think that you're being annoying until they tell you that you're annoying. So keep doing it. And like they say, the squeaky wheel is the squeaky oil. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this alludes into everything else that you do and what you kind of stand for today, which is now you're, I consider yourself one of the local serial entrepreneurs here, always with new ideas, always coming up with new ways to provide value. So run us through a little bit of how that transition of wanting to go to space actually led you into the world of entrepreneurship. Were you a kid that was always entrepreneurial or did you kind of just stumble upon this when you got older? Run us through a little bit of that story and how space kind of connected to your world of entrepreneurship. Yeah, so I was always an entrepreneurial kid, but I always kind of kept it on the back burner. I didn't use it as a skill. So a a good example of that was every year from, I would say, 12 years old to probably like 19, I would go door to door and shovel people's snow during the winter months. Dude, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And then were were you mowing lawns during the summer? I was mowing lawns. I made enough money in the winter to like satisfy all of my hobbies for the whole year. How much would you charge? It really depended on the person. So for elderly people, I charge a little bit less. But if it looked like kind of like a younger, well-to-do family, I would charge them a little more because they could afford my services. So it was like a case-by-case basis. Anywhere from, I would say, 20 bucks, you know, for their driveway and sidewalk 
to like 80 bucks. And, you know, I would always throw in like incentives like, hey, if you decide you want some salt, throw a $10 tip in and I'll come back and salt your sidewalk in like two hours. <laughs> so I would try to upsell them. <laughs> and did you learn this or like, or you just learned by doing or how did you know how to like go about doing this? Yeah. So my mom uh, has always been a good saleswoman. She, um, she was always number one in her company. And I just, I think I was born with the gift of the gab, just like me and my mom and my cousin and just really good at selling things and, and being persistent. So yeah, I think it was something that was inherited. <laughs> so you're, you're shoveling snow in Chicago and then obviously you get into high school and college. When did you start your first company? Cause I know you've done multiple, multiple projects. So when was it yeah. when you were like, all right, I'm going to learn the actual legalities behind all these things and, and start something quote unquote real. Yeah. So I think I was 22, maybe 22 and a half or 23, somewhere in that range. Um, my first company that I started was with a friend who actually worked at NASA and he was already making a bunch of money making mobile applications. Now he owns a really successful marketing company. But um, we started off with a, just a really simple app that took a picture of your face and then overlaid another caricature on top of it. It would like outline your face and make it look kind of funky. And we were, uh, we were making good money. We, we made that one app and this was kind of, you know, in the earlier days of the app store, we were making probably a couple hundred bucks a day off this app. People loved it. It was kind of like a very early version of facial recognition or AR on Snapchat. Ended up getting taken down though, because we were kind of piggybacking off of other apps. And although we weren't infringing on anything, we decided that it wasn't worth it to have all of these lawyers just come after us. Like, hey, you're piggybacking off of our app. So we decided to take it down. <laughs> and you were, were you actually receiving letters like in the mail or through email about? Email, yeah. It was a cease and desist letter. And so it basically say, hey, you know, you're infringing on our copyright. This is how you're doing it. Please take down your app. And then we would, we would usually come back with how exactly are we infringing on your copyright? And this is good for early you know, stage entrepreneurs who, get, who maybe get uh, like a threat from a lawyer. Chances are, number one, they're probably not going to sue you. And number two, you have to really figure out why they're mad at you and try to get to the bottom of that. Because oftentimes it's just fluff. And at the end of the day, like they're not going to sue you. <laughs> it's just scare tactics to see if it you is. don't know. I mean, it's renowned in other industries as well, where they try to get you to pay more or do something just willingly hoping that you're naive enough to do it. So yeah. that whole app, you turn that down, then what was kind of like your next move? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, dude. I, I <laughs> If I had a list, it would probably be like 20 or 30 different projects that I've worked on. Obviously, we can't talk about all of them, unfortunately, because I'm a super nerd and would love to dig into every single one. What were some of the ones that brought the biggest stress and, and failures uh, possibly to you that mm -hmm. maybe you didn't know going into it, but usually stress and failure leads to some learning lessons to help you get to where you're at. So is there any of those projects that were a little bit more stressful or a little bit higher risk than the others? Yeah, so I'll give you an example of, of a success that actually turned into a huge risk. We typically hear about either the failures or successes, but like, how about both? And so here's a good example of that. Do you remember when the Cubs won the World Series? Yeah, what was that, like three years ago, right? I think it was like 2016, yeah, 2016, uh, four years ago, maybe. So I don't know if you remember, but when the Cubs won the World Series, it was like 100 years in the making. Like they hadn't won in, I think like 120 or something, 108 years. And... I noticed that when they won, everyone was waving around this flag. 
And I don't know if you remember, but it was a white flag with a blue W on it. I don't, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So like everyone in Chicago w- was waving around this white flag. And I realized, I'm like, holy shit, the Cubs have not won World Series in like over a you know a century. How can I make money off of this? So what I did was I threw together a Shopify store. I was selling a, a W flag and I saw that I could get it for about two bucks from China shipped like door to door. And so I'm like, hmm, what if I charge $9.95 for shipping and then make the item free? So it'd be, hey, guys, congrats to you know the Cubs for winning the World Series. Get your W flag. Just pay shipping. <laughs> so they'd go to the That's store, awesome. you know, it'd be zero dollars. And then they'd go to checkout and it would be $9.95. And so I'd make a $7.95 profit margin minus the marketing costs. And it, I wasn't doing anything, you know, bad or I wasn't piggybacking off of anything besides the World Series. But it's not like I was infringing on the Cubs flag. It was just literally a white flag with a W on it. I ended up selling four or 5,000 of them in like a couple of days. And my my cost per click was less than pennies on the dollar because it was just, it went viral. And <laughs> so, so you're like, holy for, shit. For everybody out there, do the math on that. So like <laughs> 4,000 times a $7 margin is like $28,000. $28,000 pretty much profit after you have to negate the the marketing cost but within a four-day span like that's a pretty good chunk of change yeah that you were making dude i was it was so stressful because literally there were so many orders coming in and i had a someone in china that i met but i'm like fuck like what if they can't deliver on this order what if my order can't (laughs) be fulfilled and so for like the next three weeks dude i had to find a better supplier because they just couldn't fulfill five thousand w flags in the amount of time that i needed to and what ended up happening was <laughs> they couldn't ship from their warehouse to each person's address individually because it would just be a lot of overhead for them. So I, <laughs> I ended up ordering 5,000 flags to my house. Oh, and God. I had to literally manually print each address like you know four or 5,000 times for each person. It ended up taking basically a month and a half for me to fulfill all the orders. And it was just... You have to really look at like the long-term effects of your decisions because although something could go viral, if you can't fulfill it, you, you can start getting a lot of um, refunds and like you know mad people. So yeah, and that's just leads into: Do you really want to spend a month and a half of your time fulfilling orders for something that has a short runway? Because it's not like these right. W flags are going to continue selling for a really long time. It's different if you have a brand that can continue to spin up and create new new items. But man, that's a that's an interesting story. I love mm-hmm. that. And one of the things that anybody listening can learn is one of the things that you're really, really great at is hopping on a trend and solving a problem during that trend. How are you utilizing that skill today? Like how is that showing up in, in your life currently throughout this pandemic? What are you, what are you yeah. working on right now? Good question. So <clears throat> I, I've shifted my perspective after kind of learning a lot about, you know, short-term thinking and trying to make a quick book. I realized like, I don't want to do that anymore. Sure. Making money very quickly is cool, but like the fastest way to make money is slowly. Cool. And so what I realized is I want to make money in a long-term sustainable way. And so I'm working on a couple of projects now in the messaging and video messaging space. So one of those, I'm working on an app for Zoom, actually. Zoom actually has its own app store. And you can actually build apps on top of Zoom like you can on top of iPhone or Android. 
And so I'm currently building a polling app for Zoom so that people can basically take a poll on their Zoom call, like in real time. There's currently a functionality for it, but it's not very good. And so I'm trying to find a better way to make that work. I'm also building a Slack applications. I'm, I'm actually building a couple of Slack applications, but one of the ones I'm working on is a productivity tool for Slack. And super excited about that because same thing with the Zoom store, with the Slack app store, you can be a first mover and you can get a lot of organic traffic to your app just by launching an application. You don't even need much marketing. So that app that I'm building for Slack is going to be free and it's going to be a loss leader for other applications that I can build on top of Slack. So for those that don't know, describe what a loss leader is. Loss leader is basically a way that you lose money in order to make more money on the back end. So a good example of that is like, let's say you own a store that sells a bunch of Nutella. And let's say that Nutella, you know, you're selling it for $5 a pop. You're not, you're not really making much money at the brick and mortar store. What you're really selling is the brand of Nutella. And so you're losing money at the store, but you're making money through your long-term recognition of the brand. And so that's kind of the focus that I'm shifting into now. And, and that plus like a lot of millennials these days don't want to pay for anything. They'd rather use their time in order to buy things. So it's an interesting perspective to, to shift from a paid model to a free model, but it seems to be working. So this brand, the podcast that you're on is a representation of that. You've seen the hats, the Strive Together, Thrive Together hats. Mm -hmm. Anyone in our community, like I haven't made pay for, I just would reinvest any money that I made from consulting or doing digital media and then buy hats, give them out to people. But they are my loss leader because if I'm paying like 15 bucks a hat, that person wears the hat week over week, month over month, they run into somebody, who's like, where'd you get that hat? And they're like, oh, my friend does X, Y, Z and that person needs my services. Well, then this is what a lot of early entrepreneurs and freelancers don't understand how to create a loss leader to utilize to make way more money on the back end because on average, a consulting client will pay you five, six grand to 15 grand throughout the entire year or throughout the lifetime of that customer. And you might've gotten them with a $15 hat. Mm -hmm. And I love how you're you're shifting into that. What spurred that mentality shift? Was that before the pandemic or was this a huge spearhead for that? What kind of changed your mind on your business model and mindset? Yeah, so I, I've just realized that we're turning into a very data-driven economy. And the best way to get data through like an application is to make it free. Once you have a free application and people are actually using it, let's say that you're getting you know 10 or 50 new users a day, that's enough to basically get data off of that, running polls on them. Hey, how can I improve this product? Hey, what would you be willing to pay for? The more data you have on what people are willing to pay for, the more you can make something that could potentially find product market fit. So yeah, this whole mindset is really like a way for me to understand uh, users because I can't really understand one user, but if I can get 50 of them into my application, I can get a lot more information on what they actually want. What's really cool is like you're essentially doing everything that I've been doing in the physical world, but you're doing it in the virtual world because mm -hmm. myself and our team is super obsessed with creating community events, workshops, masterminds, gathering data from people and learning about their problems in real time versus you're kind of doing it in the virtual world. Mm -hmm. The question that I have for you is, so we started this conversation off with NASA and going to space. Where did you 
along the lines, get into apps? Where did that come about? Yeah. Because we, we haven't heard that yet. So what spurred the whole apps versus anything else? Yeah, good question. So here's what I realized when I was working at NASA. So I got into NASA and I'm like, holy shit, like I'm working with astronauts. I'm talking about rockets and working with cool people. And what I realized is NASA is not what you think. Sure, it's an awesome organization, extremely innovative. But at the end of the day, it's a bunch of bureaucracy and government BS that I just wasn't really about. And so what I realized is there's two ways to get to space. The first way to get to space is to work at NASA and hopefully become an astronaut through the ASCAN, as they call it, the Astronaut Candidate Program. The second option I thought was more feasible. I want to pay for my way to go to space because I think the odds are higher that if I start my own company, I could finance my way to go to space rather than applying to the Astronaut Candidate Program and crossing my fingers. Because in order to be an astronaut candidate, you have to be the epitome of human civilian you have to be the, the best at everything. You have to have the best grades. You have to be very good on camera. You have to be very kind of normal and down to earth and like perfect genetics. And if, if your parents and have that's ever, not like, us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if you if your parents have ever ever had a kidney stone, then you're automatically disqualified. Isn't that like ridiculous? <laughs> that's crazy. Well, that that checks me off because my dad has. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's insane. But no, that's that, that's an awesome story and. I've always been obsessed with technology and improving technology and apps have been a scary thing for me. So that's where signing up for your chicken hackathon was something that I immediately signed up for because I kind of wanted to see the back end of like, how do you build an app over a weekend and then even maybe further on down the line? So you've been working on apps all this time. Do you see a gap in the market that is essentially going to be that moonshot idea for you to get to Mars now? Or are you trying to put a bunch of things out there and see what sticks? What's your methodology behind getting apps out there? Because now you're going into the free market and the freemium model. Are you just trying to test or are you kind of like in your lane of, I kind of know where I'm going? And the reason I asked this question is because I kind of know the answer already, but a lot Mm -hmm. of people think that you're just going to know going into it, which usually isn't the case, but I'd love to hear it from your words on how do you decide what ideas to work on other than just a quick idea to hit a new market? Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of shifting my perspective on what I think is a good application. So what I used to do is I would go into the app store and I would just look for certain apps that were making money and I would try to make them better in some way. And that's pretty cool, but oftentimes what I ran into was they had some other proprietary technology or proprietary marketing that really caused them to find product market fit. good example of that is I saw an app that was like a timer. It was a very simple application where it would just time your productivity levels over time and you could track them. And I'm like, oh, you know, I could build that app in like two or three days. Maybe I can just clone it and see what happens. And I would clone it and I would oftentimes find that nobody would use it because the person who made the app had some other marketing plan or something else. So the new perspective that I'm taking now on finding ideas are like really thinking about long-term problems. And there's a couple of problems that I'm thinking about now that are moonshot ideas. I'll give you an example of one if you want. (laughs) Yeah, go into it. So... Fintech. Fintech is a great example of a moonshot market. So 
I think in the next five years, we're not going to have any debit cards or any cash anymore. How can we make it easier for small businesses like you or me to generate revenue? There's like card networks. There's Visa, there's MasterCard, there's American Express. They all charge a fee to the merchant. Let's say the fee is 2.5%. Let's say you get a $15,000 contract from someone. Visa or MasterCard takes 2.5% off of that. My whole conviction is why even charge people anything? Because if you think about it, the reason why they're charging people is because of fraud. Fraud is very high. But if you could verify that someone is sending that transaction and that it's a legit transaction, like why charge anything? That would totally disrupt all the card networks. So my whole idea is use facial recognition and then maybe contextual information, location, even what their heart rate is. Figure out how likely is it that this person is sending this transaction and then get those fees down to basically zero. And so create a very liquid way to send money without any fees. The big banks won't like that. (laughs) and the cards won't like that. But no, this brings up a great point because right now the government is having an issue even sending money during a time of crisis because private institutions and private sectors are way ahead in technology compared to the government sectors. So we're seeing a huge problem in how the government is set up and they should have already had, again, digital coins, digital ways of operating currency. They don't have that yet. I also think you have this phone, you have like Apple Pay, you have all these things that we didn't have 10, 20, 30 years ago, but the infrastructure isn't being built behind them to support small businesses and the areas that we're in where like you go into a little mom and pop, how are they going to essentially take money? If we ran with this idea in your head, what would be your way of navigating and getting these mom and pop shops like up and running? Because mm-hmm. some of them still don't even understand regular technologies that we're using today. Uh, you have to make it simple. And we know we talked a little bit about lost leaders before. This would have to be a free application that people could use whenever they want. So it'd be like Stripe, but without any transaction fees. And a good example of that is kind of what Robinhood did. Robinhood democratized investing for everyone. Investing before used to be for people who had a lot of money and who were willing to pay a bunch of commissions. With this type of application, it would be the same exact thing. It would be a Robinhood-like approach, but for transaction fees. And so I think what you could do is just offer people 0% transaction fees in exchange for joining their, you know, your platform and beta testing it. And so the question might be like, how do you make money off of that? Well, how did Jeff Bezos make money in the beginning of Amazon when he was trying to get to uh, market share? He made everything cheap or he would basically charge pennies on the dollar or make pennies on the dollar off of these products. And so unfortunately, you'd have to lose money in the short term in order to capture the market in the long term. So a good example of how you could monetize this would be you create a platform for 0% transaction fees and then you basically sell that data to other companies that are willing to do data analysis on it. And so it'd be like more of a data marketplace than anything else. A good example of that is also like 23andMe. Like we like to think 23andMe is like a biotech company, but in fact, it's actually a data company. They're selling all your data to all these other people to get actionable analytics on future populations, like what they can do for a vaccine development and stuff like that. So it's becoming a data economy. Well, I love everything you're talking about. And I, I had a question around what's your familiarity with Richard Branson? Because 
you're talking about these crazy moonshot ideas and I'm reading his book right now. Uh, it's called Losing My Virginity. It was written in 1998 and it talks about like everything from the business he started before Virgin and like how they went from a record label to owning planes to owning real estate to all these different things. And one of the things that he talked about in the beginning of the book was what you just said, where a lot of people during that time just wanted to hold on to the cash that they had rather than spending it on gaining essentially market share. So I'd love to dig a little bit more into that for the listeners on what do you mean by gaining ground on the market share using loss leader type of tactics? Because I think, again, in our generation, a lot of people don't like to spend money, but they don't understand that it takes money to make money. And you need to kind of, as soon as the money comes in, if you're making a business and money starts coming in, like you can't put that into your life savings or things of that nature. Like you need to figure a way to use that in either your marketing or your community to grow your market share. So I'd love for you to dig a little bit deeper into defining what that means and maybe what you're doing currently, either with the Zoom app or Slack. How does that represent that methodology? Mm -hmm. People always think that you have to have money to make money. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think we live in a world of infinite leverage. It's just finding out what you're good at and then applying leverage to it. For me, I'm really good at building very quick prototypes and execution. So that's what I'm trying to scale. And so for people who are interested in doing that, it's like figure out what you're good at and what you enjoy at. And then, you know, try to get thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to, uh, to use it. For example, I can go right now and I can build an app that could sync into your bank account and pull data from your bank and then I could go and sell it to someone else. Like I could do that without anyone's permission. So it's just like, how can you do something like that where you apply leverage and make something else happen out of it? I don't know if, if that kind of answers the question, but... No, it, it does. And to clarify, when I said it takes money to make money, that's that's kind of like what I meant. I didn't necessarily mean cash in my pocket. I meant mm -hmm. you're utilizing a skill to then gain something and then trade that something rather than hold on to that. We were raised in an environment where it's basically hoarding. Mm -hmm. Earn money, hoard material items, hoard savings in your 401k, hoard, yeah. hoard, hoard, right? And the entrepreneurial scene it's basically like a game to level up. You can't hoard things like it doesn't work that way because you'll never get to space if you're hoarding. Like that's just, there's just not enough time. Yeah. You're basically fighting time. You have to use that leverage. And I live by this equation, exposure equals opportunity equals currency. And the currency at the end can be anything you define it as. So it could be a house, it could be money, it could be a relationship, but what gets you that currency is some type of exposure and attention that opened up an opportunity for you. You took that opportunity and then you use that opportunity as leverage to get the currency that you're looking for. Now, the cool thing around this equation is you can switch that just like in math, you can switch the equation around. Like if I'm Stefan and I have this data, right? That's the currency that somebody else is looking for. Maybe a bank is looking for that data. And right now, the currency you're looking for is money for that data. So I'm going to trade, I'm going to compile this data and then trade that for that money. Or 
a good a good example is because we're talking about growing market share and branding and marketing for freelancers and influencers and ambassadors out there they gain attention right so when they have the attention which is the exposure that opens them up to opportunities with other brands and businesses who then are willing to pay so for instance if you're a videographer and you can create really cool videos you need to be on 20 different platforms pumping your videos out because that'll get you the exposure for someone to reach out to you to then pay you and level you up because you'll have your pick of the the litter as they say so you're really good on the app side of things i want to know and dig into what are you doing on the marketing side of things with everything that you're doing so you we had a conversation the other day that you're talking about productize yourself what do you mean by that what's what's your marketing scheme these days around how are you gaining that exposure to then earn more currency and then use that leverage to get you to Mars? Yeah. So I used to kind of tie up my identity with Martian, which is the name of my company. And what I realized is that's cool, but I want to be a brand myself. And maybe that sounds a little bit egotistical or whatever, but what it really comes down to is how can I be my truest self in all ways? How can I just be me but still be a brand at the same time. A good example, I was talking to Thomas about this, like a good example of that is you go to a circus and you see an elephant. You're like, okay, that's cool. Then you go to a circus and you see someone juggling. Like, oh, okay, that's that's also cool. And then you you go to the circus again, you see someone on a unicycle. But then you go to the circus and you see an elephant on a unicycle juggling. It's like, holy crap. Like, I didn't know you could do all three of those things at the same time. And that's basically what I'm trying to do is Make it so that you can be whoever you want. If you want to be weird and go to Mars, or if you want to make apps, or if you want to just go breakdance in a fucking chicken suit, like you can do all those things. <laughs> Which we actually did. So anybody out there listening, that we actually broke, well, I didn't because I can't breakdance. I tried to mimic it, but we, we went to all these different bars in chicken suits to do that. This is the the coolest thing in our in our times right now is like it used to be celebrities were allowed to be eccentric and weird, mm-hmm. but like the normal average everyday person would basically be ousted in their community if they showed that. But with social media, the TikToks of the world, Instagram, you can just become your own celebrity. Also, Reddit. I don't know if you've seen Reddit recently. But uh, you can actually make videos on Reddit. And I've, I've gotten like 250 random people who just started asking me questions on Reddit. Wait. <laughs> so, okay, sidebar. Talk about this a little bit because I have not heard this. So what I do is I go on RPAN, R-P-A-N, Reddit Public Access Network. And there's like five different subreddits. And so I usually go to like Distant Socializing or The You Show. And I literally just go on there and I say, hey, guys, ask me any question. I went on today and I had... I think total like 50 people asking me random questions, but yesterday I had like 250 unique visitors or 300 visitors or something. It was just interesting how you could turn Reddit into like a social media platform too now. So I've kind of been messing around with that. Can you collab on that? Is it, does it give you the ability to like... Two people at once? I'm sure there's a way you could finagle it, but for right now it's just one person at a time. Yeah, because that would be awesome to be able to collaborate through Reddit and just do like a power hour. You get two people in there and... AMA, ask me anything. I've actually never thought about that. I've been looking a lot into Medium lately mm-hmm. and writing blogs on Medium and how to drive more traffic because I was as we go into the summer, I'm building out a couple digital products and communities 
And I really want to start learning how to, I'm good at driving traffic physically and getting people at events, but how do we drive traffic to the digital world and not only driving traffic, but segment the traffic so that people are going to things that they really, really want to go to. Because mm-hmm. I'm really high on the brand, keep your brand equity really high and do things that people love. And that's where I guess like Reddit and Medium could be super valuable because you have a bunch of people asking you random questions, which you can then gather data and then implement into your own marketing strategies in your current companies or projects. But I'd love to kick this into a different gear where it's like, I know you're into meditation and other things, but what has kept you going as an entrepreneur being able to handle the bumps in the road and all the ups and downs? What are some of the tips that you can give to those out there listening? Mm-hmm. So I, I think you should really just do what you love. I know that sounds cheesy or whatever, but life is just so short. And what I've realized is for me, happiness is a function, it's the rate at which I can let go of things that no longer serve me, whether it's limiting beliefs, whether it's relationships, whether it's just people that I don't want to have around me anymore, like whatever it is. And I'm not saying like to be avoided at all. What I'm saying is there are so many things that you can let go of to really truly be happy. And I think that the more of those things that you just let go of that aren't serving you, the, the happier you become. So some of my hobbies that I like to do now I have too many hobbies. I like to spread myself really thin. <laughs> I haven't really gone deep into anything, but um, some of those include uh, bachata dancing. I do a little bit of acro yoga. I started acting classes recently. Go to Toastmasters every week. Sunday, I do ecstatic dance. I'm also very interested in doing beach volleyball now when, once it starts getting back up again at Aussies, getting some people together for uh, sand volleyball. That'll be fun. That's awesome. What the heck is ecstatic dance? ecstatic dance is a bunch of hippies in a room sliding and slipping and i'm just kidding (laughs) well they are it's just a bunch of people dancing it's usually 300 people in a room here in east austin and we just get together and there's no talking you can only talk with your body and you just kind of dance around to the music and is this at night in the morning like during the weekend what yeah it's sunday mornings so it's like it's good if you don't go out the night before because um, if you do, then you're probably going to be hungover or whatever. But yeah, Sunday morning is from 10.30 to 12.30. And how did you get into that? Like, So you have all these hobbies. What inspired you to go after all these different things? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm single and trying to figure out what it is that I love to do. And so I thought maybe the Blitzkrieg approach is the right way to do this. So I've just been kind of experimenting with different things and figuring out what's fun, what's not. And yeah, variety is the spice of life. <laughs> oh yeah i love that so we're getting close to wrapping up but your knowledge man and, and your your passion for business and entrepreneurship and just building things to to change the world is something to look up to i'd love for maybe you to give your top three tips for anybody out there that's thinking about starting something or has a dream like going to mars or just wants to start all these hobbies that you've been able to pick up top three things that you think they can use to leverage themselves to start achieving this momentum that you've clearly been able to do? Yeah. The first one that comes to mind, triage your surroundings. I remember when I was kind of starting off with the entrepreneurial journey, I would listen to a TED talk every single night for like a year straight. I would just listen to a TED talk. 
And your surroundings don't have to be people. Your surroundings can be the media, anything that you read online, anything that you surround yourself with. So really triage your surroundings and ask yourself, is this going to take me to the next level? That might even mean moving to a different city. Like I moved here from Chicago and like my life just 10x ever since I moved here, meeting people like you and everyone else in the atmosphere. I feel like everyone here is very hungry and driven. And I just, that's why I fucking love Austin so much. I would say that's the first one. The second one would be, don't be a dick. Don't be a pussy. <laughs> I, like like, follow, I, I, we, I talked about this before. I think at Sandsbar, like follow the middle path. There, there's enough dicks in the world and there's enough people that are kind of afraid to, uh, to live their dreams. So kind of be somewhere in the middle and make shit happen. My favorite quote, probably in the last seven years, which I actually picked up from a podcast. And so like, it, it makes me start to tear to realize that I'm giving this to someone else who might be listening to this podcast. And that is, I'd rather live a life of oh wells instead of what ifs. So those are my top three. Moment of silence on that one. Yeah. Oof. Moment of silence on that one, man. <laughs> I'd rather live a life of oh wells than what ifs. Listen to that. Soak that in. That's something that I talked about on the last episode that I had with my wife, Erin, when, when I talked about get busy living or get busy dying. Like mm-hmm. there's too many people out there that I loved how you said in earlier in this episode that life is so short. Like you, you don't realize how quick your day to day can be taken away from you, whether it's by illness or by accident or hybrid of them. And when you start reminding yourself of that and you look back on your life and anybody can look back on their life right now and think back, like for myself, I think back to all of the decisions that I've made and how many like really didn't matter. And that's where I think a tactic that I've been using is if this decision right now isn't going to matter in five years from now, like I'm just going to like go with it, figure it out like in as least amount of time as possible and just go forward because I'd rather be like, oh, well, I made the wrong decision. Then what if I just never made that decision in the first place? So I, I love how you put that. And again, man, I appreciate you so much for, for hopping on here. For those listening, I had Stefan come on because... We're living in a, in a really unknown time right now, and he's the perfect guy to reach out to, to kind of spin up ideas in any time, whether the economy's down or up or left or right, or your life is up, down, left or right. Somebody like him reaching out to someone like him can help you kind of dial into where you're at right now and where you want to go and how do you build that leverage to achieve some of the things that you have your mind set on and to give him some credit. Literally the reason that he's on this podcast is because of his, the first thing that he said, the triage, I posted a story about speaking with a lawyer. We're trying to do some things at thrive where I need to make some business decisions on the back end, And I need to get in contact with somebody and Stefan hooked me up with a connection, but then literally took the time of day to talk it out with me. And I was able to make some decisions without even having to spend money to talk to a professional. So he lives and breathes that first statement that he just made. And I'm super appreciative for your friendship and the ability to kind of riff with you uh, here on a Saturday. So before we sign off, where can the audience find you at and connect with you? Absolutely, man. So the first place you can find me is just my Instagram, Steph underscore ball. (laughs) 
You can also hit up my newsletter, stefan.news. That's S-T-E-F-A-N.news. Kind of starting a new little blog that's a representation of myself. Hit me up on LinkedIn too, linkedin.com slash in slash S-D-J-O-R. Hell yeah. And before we wrap up, is there any final statements you have or anything that you want to leave the audience with? Man, CJ, I just want to say like, thank you so much for just being you, man. You know, sometimes it might feel like people aren't appreciating you, but I appreciate you every single day, man. And I see what you're doing and it breathes light into me and it allows me to breathe light into other people too. And like we said, life is just so short. Like live your fucking best life right now. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. And that's where it gives me chills because I also moved from somewhere else to Austin and I felt like I was reborn here with people like yourself around me. And the coolest thing is, I mean, I haven't seen you in a while and that's that's the coolest thing with our friends around here is like we're so in the build mode and and the hustle and the passion that we can go, I can go months without seeing certain people, but they're still like my friend at the end of the day, my brothers, my sisters, and we're all in this together. And that's something that I want to preach to everybody else out there that if you don't have that, you need to not think about leaving the city that you're in or the town that you're in. You need to pack up as quickly as possible once this quarantine is over and you need to move to a city or a town or somewhere that has the support that you need honestly, happiness is fleeting. But when you're around people that just have this infectious attitude about life and about getting rid of the bullshit, you're ultimately going to be happier. And that life that we were talking about is shorter. feels so much longer. Like I've only been here going on three years. It feels like I've been in Austin for a lifetime. And I, and I love that. And I can't wait to see everything that you do. Again, you can find him at Steph underscore ball. S-T-E-F underscore B-A-L-L on Instagram. Connect with this dude. If you just have any idea under the sun, he can help you. He's helped me massively over the years and I'm super appreciative of that and hope all of you are safe and sound. Hopefully within the coming month, we're going to find out a little bit more about what's going to go on with this quarantine and our nation and see where it goes. But until then... Keep striving, keep thriving, and I'll talk to you soon. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on, y'all.